welcome to Tete Tete's third episode, Don't Be Discouraged. This week's discussion was inspired by another great article in the Magnificat titled, Is That in the Bible? Bethel's Bad News Bears. I'll include all references to the article in the show notes on our website, tetetet.family. I'm just going to read the first paragraph of the article to set up our discussion and then read the actual verse before we get started. The Bible is full of saints acting badly and Elijah's behavior in 2 Kings chapter 2 verses 23 through 25 would seem to fit the pattern. On his return from the Jordan Valley where he witnessed the ascension of Elijah, he is verbally accosted outside the city of Bethel by some little boys who shout, Go up, bald head! Surly and displeased, the glabrous prophet hurls a curse in their direction. Right on cue, two she-bears appear on stage to devour 42 jeering children. So what do we make of these kinds of passages that portrays God as rather harsh, even with boisterous little boys who by today's standards would be considered innocents. So just to be accurate, I'll read the actual passage from my Bible for 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. He went up from heaven to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head! Go up, you bald head! And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods, and tore forty-two of the boys. From there on he went up to Mount Carmel, and thence he returned to Samaria. So how does this passage relate to discouragement? Surely it is not meant to discourage little boys from making mean comments to prophets. Before we jump into what this passage means, I'd like to highlight a problematic issue many of my non-Christian friends triumphantly point out to me about these types of passages. The God of the Old Testament is not therefore the same as the God of the New Testament. They reason such inconsistency provides proof that the God of the Bible must be fictional if his true nature, which should be eternal and non-contradictory, is clearly not based on such passages. So here is where we enter into our discussion. We have these conversations with other non-believers. There's always the, hey, how can you possibly believe that? Because God's prophet is telling the king to go and kill every single man, woman, and child and kill all the animals too. And this story as well where Elisha, Elijah's successor, curses boys and they, a bears show up and they eat 42 boys, right? <laughs> Which sounds like a horrible thing, you know, hey, someone no. made fun of your hairline because you're bald and calling God's curse down upon you and God cooperates, and God, God cooperates God. with that and kills 42 boys, right? So when I talk to the folks that, that are non-believers that I know about how is it possible you get this Old Testament and God is just unjustly or from our point of view killing innocent people or making people making innocent jokes, I don't, I don't think they, they understand. They're looking at it from a, first of all, a modern perspective. You can't look at ancient writings from your own perspective because they thought differently back right. then, right? Plus, they're looking at it in a literal sense, not yeah. a theological sense. Right. So the, the, other, the, other, the other point there, too, is that these are allegorical stories for us, especially that 
are Catholic, well, we don't believe in the exact word-for-word tra- uh, translation. Or and, there can be more than that, too. Sometimes there is a little... You can take it literally, like, this happened, but there are many different meanings to the story. You know, I think Scott Hahn talks about that in his understanding the scriptures. There's layers of meaning, yeah, I agree. And some things can be literal and some things can't be literal, and that's why we have a magisterium that helps us with understanding that. Mm -hmm. Because that's based on thousands of years of tradition, Mm -hmm. brilliant scholars for millennia thinking over this, and... So they understand the the thoughts and where people were from back then. And some of these stories are allegorical, like you're saying. So, yeah, no, there's more meaning to that story than just, hey, 42 boys got eaten up because they made fun of somebody because they were bald. They made fun of the wrong guy, right, because he's God's guy. Like you said, it's an allegory for... The devil. But he's fighting against God's mission. That's constantly, that's the whole story of the Bible from the beginning to Christ, you know, and, and on. It's always the devil fighting against what God wants. That happens in different ways. And this is just one of those stories where the boys sent are really, it's the devil. Yeah, um, it's representative of, of the temptation. They're trying to tempt him to lose faith. It's kind of like, I mean, can you imagine if you were Elisha? Like, who am I? I mean, that's like, you know, when Moses Especially got chosen by the burning yeah, bush, yeah. who am I? Like, God wants me to do this? I'm just a nobody. And then when other people come along and start telling you you're a nobody, who were you yeah. to think you could do anything and make a difference? Well, that's a hard act to follow. <clears throat> Elijah yeah. was like considered the greatest prophet, you know, him and Moses. I mean, he's the only one that got like taken up to heaven kind yeah. of thing. Like, how many people did that happen to in the Old Testament? Yeah. <laughs> So you, so you have, yeah, you have his direct <laughs> disciple, you know, Alicia, who would have, I mean, I I can put myself in that position and, and think, hey, who, you know, I, I'm never going to measure up to the boss. He's, <clears throat> you know, got, you know, you watch him getting taken up to heaven. Yeah. It's like. He just came back from that. Yeah. And then they're the, like, All of a sudden he's getting baldy, to, <laughs> baldy here. Yeah. You know, who do you think you are? You know? Yeah. And, and the whole, you know, like you said, Elisha was hairy and you know that's a very masculine He's thing ma- manly yeah, yeah. very and, so and physically so even. physically might have been more masculine but certainly with <clears throat> hair the hair thing sort of promotes more of a ma- masculinity versus a hairless man is much less of a masculine less strong right so they're so, that's so they're, the, they're yeah. trying to attack him the devil is trying to attack yeah. him in his in, in his authority to be a prophet undermine him and get him to think a different way and lose faith. Exactly. You know, I I wanted to say, too, that one of the other things about understanding these kinds of stories is you have to look at them in the context, too. Because as we go down and we read about the explanation, there's a lot of references to things that already happened or things that will happen in that chapter, too. Yeah. And and it makes sense. So... Yeah, you got to look at it as a whole, yeah, not just you have to one look at little it as excerpt. A whole. You can't pull things out of the Bible and look at them in, in, in isolation, because it's always, and that's, I like to say, the genius of the scriptures, because everything in the scriptures is related to everything else. You can look at the whole New Testament, and everything in the Old Testament points to the New Testament and explains it. In the New Testament, similarly, you can understand the Old Testament in that light, because you're like, oh, that's why. Now this makes sense, you know, why you have to look at it as a whole package. You can't take things out. And Yeah, I agree you know, with you. I, I learned that during the, I love Scott Hahn's 
understanding the scriptures because mm-hmm. when we were going over that with the kids the the pre-configuration of all of this stuff in the old testament it points to the new points testament. pointing to christ and christ fulfilling Explains. things in the old testament because yeah. it's like this whole thing you know we were saying they say to him go up bald head it's a very small you know quote there but the go up the ascension you know see you look there you have to look at that in terms of okay Elisha just came back from elijah's ascension right Into heaven, so yeah. that's a direct reference to the challenge there like for you <laughs> try you just try to go up there and you just try to be like him you, you know they talk about yeah this challenge to ascend a challenge for Elisha to go up in a whirlwind like his master and also the other thing was that um, they were talking about the high places you know how in the old testament only certain people could go up to these forbidden high places of worship where god dwelled so to speak mm-hmm. did you remember like moses always going up on the mountain to intercede for the people, but no one else could do that except Moses. And so the going up thing is also talking about you're God's chosen person because you are allowed to do that, whereas no one else could do that. So that's the other thing that's a taunt. Go up like Elijah or go up like Moses to that's the high religious place, So which is often at, at this time in on tops of mountains. <laughs> they didn't have temples yeah. and that they worshipped it or anything. So that whole thing is interesting. And that's the other thing, too, is not understanding... If you don't understand the historical context, too. See, like, these kids are from Bethel. So what is Bethel? This article that we're reading talks about, well, Bethel is the place with the golden calf. These are pagans who used to be... They used to be part of Israel, but it's been repaganized. You know, they're saying the pagans have taken over it. They've lost their faith. And... They this is know. after the kingdom split. Yeah, and Elisha's been sent there to pass judgment on them, and they know that. And in fact, they have a reference to, to before when Elisha and Elijah were traveling together, before Elisha went up, how they these people from Bethel were taunting him even then, like, hey, you know, your, your guy here, he's going to be gone, and then where are you going to be? You know, they were taunting him then. Yeah. And then he does go, Elijah leaves. Alicia's left alone, he comes back, and they're, st- they're still taunting him. <laughs> so you have to look at that whole story. Yeah. And, and like you said, it, it isn't the boys themselves aren't necessarily children. It's what they represent. It's it's the representation of, of you know, maybe a childlike maturity. Childlike ma- immaturity, yeah. Or immaturity, well. in this case, of the people themselves because they've fallen away from the faith. Mm-hmm. So they're like lost children who just run around yeah. taunting yeah. bad kids. The bad boys. But and they give a mouth to the devil's mission in life, which is to thwart God's mission <laughs> in any way that he can. And it's interesting to me that the way he tries to get at Elisha is to discourage him. Because if you think about it, it's discouragement. Yeah, actually, that's interesting because I was actually reading about discouragement last night. might have been in the gospel meditation. But how that's one of the main ways that the devil tries to get at us is through discouragement. It's easily discouraged in this day and age. I mean, it it could come in many forms. Oh, God didn't answer my prayers yesterday. (laughs) So therefore, he must not be real. Otherwise, he would have like, there would have been a flash of lightning. I would have got what I wanted. That's not how God works. I mean, it can, that's someone that doesn't have a strong or well-developed faith, you know, I think. But even those people who do can fall prey to the discouragement because of sin like that gets all turned around on you you're fighting trying to fight to grow in virtue 
trying to not sin, and every day you're falling into the same sins or weaknesses every single day. It can be discouraging. It can be discouraging because you think, oh, I'm never going to get it. It's been 20 years. I'm never going to get any better. And that's what the devil wants because then you start thinking, I'm just not going to go to confession this time because what, what's the good of it? I say that I'm not going to sin anymore, but then I go and do, you know, or I'm just not getting any better, so therefore, why should I keep trying? Give up. It's easy to give up because you're discouraged, and that is what the devil wants you to do, because then he's got you. You're walking away. The minute you make that choice, you're slowly stepping back from God, little by little by little by little. Don't give up. Yeah, so the point is don't give up. God, numerous saints have said this, and I'm sure Mother Teresa said He doesn't expect us to be successful. He just expects us to try. That's the only thing. He wants faithfulness, not perfection. He wants us to strive for perfection, but he doesn't expect us to be perfect. He just expects us to try, because that, that's how God is. That's one of the things I love about St. Teresa. She's always talking about God as a father, like literally a father, like her own father. He was a a saintly man, obviously. Not all of us are fortunate to have a father like that. But still, many of us have good fathers who do demonstrate love, Mm -hmm. the loving, solid presence in your life. So you can use that to relate to God. And she did. You have to trust in God to that God is going to treat you the same way that your own father treated you. He doesn't give up on you because you make mistakes. Like, gee, my poor little child, you know, I'm potty training them. They've had an accident 10 times today for the last month. I'm just going to give up on this kid. I don't want them anymore. (laughs) I mean, that sounds ridiculous, right? But that is exactly how we treat God. We think that God's going to treat us that way, which is silly when you think about it, because why would he do that? He's God. I mean, he's got more patience and more love than we do for our own kids. (laughs) You know, we're talking about discouragement here. It's related to this story about Alicia, about making choices. You can be paralyzed by that decision-making process of whether or not you're doing the right thing. And discouragement plays a part in that because going back to the story of Alicia here, what if he listened to that little thing, that that bit, and he sat there and and really sat down and thought about it like, hmm, wait a minute, maybe this is all in my head. Maybe God doesn't want me to do this. Does God want me to do this? Does God not want me to do this? I mean, he didn't do that though, did he? He stayed focused on what he needed to stay focused on and just said, this is what God wants me to do, so this is what I'm doing. Being paralyzed by decision-making is a form of discouragement, I think, because you don't, you're not relying on God when you do that. You're relying on yourself, on your own understanding, which is obviously lacking because it's not giving you anything. Yeah. You got to just go with it. You got to go with, okay, this is what I think God is telling me to do. So therefore, I'm going to go this direction. And you got to just do it. You know, that reminds me, I had to chuckle when you said that because that TV series, Good Place, uh-huh. one of the main characters, Cheaty, oh, I think. Cheaty. He, he can't make a decision. He's paralyzed He's paralyzed by, by decision-making. decision-making. Yeah. And he's in, that's why he went to hell. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> because he could never make a decision. He never could you know, commit to anything. But it wasn't so much that he was indecisive. I think he just didn't, like you said, there's just no trust there. Yeah, there's no it, trust. There's no trust. And from our, from our point of view, you know, from a spiritual point of view, that shows a lack of trust in God. And that is why it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> when you're yeah. discouraged, you're actually, you might not be thinking that way explicitly, but it is. The point being that it's not that you're indecisive that's bad, per se. 
it's that you get discouraged from that indecisiveness, reinforces that indecision to where you just won't make any decisions. Yeah. And that makes me think of agnostics. I'm just not going to decide that there's a God, yeah. whether there's a God or not, simply because it's uh, just it's too discouraging because there's too many points of view. I'm never going to know anything. I'm never going to make a leap yeah. of faith. I cannot know anything with any certainty. If you think about it, that kind of point of view would be like, what would be the point of living if you approached everything like that? Because we make thousands of decisions every day, most of them minor decisions, but even a minor decision could, well, gee, the decision to eat this for breakfast instead of this even though I know this is better for me versus this is not so, you know, like, should I eat the donut? Should I eat the eggs and healthy toast? <laughs> you know, I mean, that could have ramifications for other decisions you make later in the day. Yeah. But if you choose not to eat at all, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, there, I wish, I'm trying to remember so. the passage, but there's a passage where I think Christ says something Along the lines, it's better to to be hot or cold, and not lukewarm. Right, God doesn't like a lukewarm. So I think how that ties into our discussion too is that God gives us choices and expects us to make those choices. And when you take that all out of the equation, it's really lack of faith, right? Because mm-hmm. even I would argue that atheists have faith. They have they faith they that there is no God. They made a choice, right? And it's not the right choice, in my point of view. But it's, it's a situation where atheists make a choice, and that choice is they don't believe in God, or they believe that yeah. science has to prove that God exists before they'll believe in God. But, but they still they, made a choice. But they made a choice, right? And there's some conviction behind that that I can respect. Agnostic points of view I have less respect for because it's just sitting back, I'm not going to make a decision on something. Mm-hmm. There's no leap of faith, and not that you have to have a leap of faith, but you have to have faith in something. You can't go through life without Having putting faith, faith in, in something. something. Yeah, You have to make decisions about things. You can't. Well, and not only that, but honestly, science is also, there are things that are presumed in science. There's things, there's things within reason and science that are not rock solid 100%. Yeah. You, you know, they make assumptions in science. Yeah. Not everything is yeah. is provable and definable. Yeah. To, so to think that that is the way things need to be in order for you to make a decision is not realistic. I, again, I think it just it shows less faith than, ironically, someone who is an atheist mm-hmm. because they make a stand. Yeah. And they, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, so there, yeah, there's a lot you like, can take away from that story. And the indecision is yeah. certainly a big part of that. Yeah. The, the whole taunting as the devil taunts Elijah through the boys, mm-hmm. through the allegory story of mm-hmm. whether they're little boys. I don't think they're little boys running around yelling, hey, Baldy. They're the community. Of Bethel. Of Bethel. Which that, is That is taunting pagan. him. Through, yeah, yeah through, that is that pagan. That has been taunting him all along about how he's not going to be yeah. able to change them or do anything to them. That whole storyline, I think, is something that applies throughout all of our lives. And again, we talk about making that connection with the scriptures that are when we go to mass or that we read independently or in prayer mm-hmm. evening prayers that we do for the, as a family those things can touch us if we think think them through and they do apply it's not some weird bizarre old story that was written down 2000 or more years ago right uh-huh. whenever elijah or elisha excuse me elisha and elijah I'm not sure when that 
time frame fit 2,500 years ago or more, there's some applicability to today. Even though it was written in a different time, with mm-hmm. people thought differently, there's still elements of that that directly plug into us today. Well, and that's, that's, pro- that's why they're in the... That's why they're in the Bible. That's why they're in if the Bible. If there wasn't a value to it, then they wouldn't have been included in Scripture. They're inspired writings. That's why some things were included and some things weren't. <laughs> This conversation inspires me to make decisions and, well, mainly it inspires me, I should say, (laughs) to not be discouraged. Mm. You know, yeah, it's easy to fall back into the same sins, but I'm not going to give up. I I have faith in God that I can overcome those, Mm. that I can be with God, that they're not going to separate me from God. Yeah, Um, that they're not going to separate me. There's no permanent separation there. That That's God's good. continuously, His love is still there, present, always inviting me, always wanting me to be with Him. Mm-hmm. Just acknowledging that and confessing our sins and and seeking that reconciliation. I think that's yeah. over and over and over. over and again. As long as it, you know, as long as it takes, and you know, I, I, I have faith that that will overcome any any discouragement. I think the denial, the unforgivable sin that is well, mentioned in the Bible, despairing of God's mercy. Yeah, is what that is despairing of God's mercy. Just giving up. Yeah. It's, again, so, discouragement is what is the key to yeah. that. And that's not something God has imposed on you. You've imposed that on yourself. Yeah. That's the unforgivable sin. That's yeah. the see, I think that's the line. It's, it talks about that in the Bible that that can't be crossed. God is not going to make you do anything. If you're going to allow yourself to be discouraged to not bother reaching across out to him, he's not going to force that on you. And that's that's the the unforgivable sin that talked about when you reject the Holy Spirit. You're basically giving into that discouragement, yeah, to not bother trying to have that relationship with God. Yeah, well, because basically what you're saying is, I don't believe you love me enough. That's what you're saying. Yeah. To deny God's love, God is love. Like that's like the worst thing you could ever say is. I don't think God loves me. <laughs> well, the the thing about after everything yeah. that He's done for the human race and for you as an individual, for all things, mm-hmm. all things are willed by God. God's will is that I exist. Mm-hmm. If He suddenly decided not to will that, I wouldn't exist. So to 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 deny that good will, that willing of my existence, yeah. and it's not this mushy love stuff, right? Yeah. It's and it's and a willing the good of me, willing the good of all, yeah. right? And I mean, I'm sure there's the, there's a genuine lo- emotional attachment to that, but I mean, it's it's the willing of the good of the willing of the good of the other. Of, of, yeah. uh, and and I'm talk about the the pure good, not just like yeah. oh that's kind of good or that's kind of good. It's the purest form of good. It's this mm-hmm. yeah. you know sort of the gold standard of all good is based on that will. Yeah. So and to deny only- that, to deny that, or to you know be discouraged into 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 disregarding that. You're rejecting that. Yeah. You're rejecting the very will that wills you into existence. Yeah. God allows that, right? Because He right. allows free will. But I mean, but you're, it's your it's choice. Your, yeah, that's your yeah. pulling the trigger yeah. on that. Yeah. It's like hell's. hell's that's why hell is not something that like people say. Well, how can a just God make hell? Well, God didn't make hell. People made hell. People made their own hell. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that's I the think choice C.S. Lewis made. said, "Hell is a, is a is a room." With a door that's locked from the inside. Yeah. So you've locked yourself inside yeah, that Because you made that choice. Right, you made you the got... choice to say, no, God doesn't love me. God does not love me enough. Yeah. And so, well, what's God supposed to do about that? Like, <laughs> not going to make you love him. Because then it's not love. It's interesting. The whole point that you brought up, sweetie, 
I was reading last night because I'm reading this book by Fulton Sheen on marriage. It's called Three to Get Married. Talking exactly about that exact thing about why love is triune, you know, why there's three involved anyway, because you know, husband, wife, and the Holy Spirit is also allegorical to uh, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he was talking about how God, because God's love, the whole reason for existence isn't because God didn't need to make us, because he already had perfect happiness, because he lived, he didn't live in, you know, before he made the world and made people, made the universe, he wasn't sitting there all by himself. God already lived in a society with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's He already had perfect happiness. He had perfect truth. He already had everything. But the nature of love is to expand. And that is God's nature because God is love. And that's why he created us. He wanted to because he wanted to spread his love. So he created us. He created us as beings to know love and serve him. That's the, that's the thing. That's the only reason. That's what Fulton Sheen said. The only reason for our existence is love. We only exist because of that. If God wasn't love, we wouldn't exist. That goes hand in hand with what you were saying. Giving up on God, giving into discouragement, is denying God's love for us. That's the whole reason we exist. So, <laughs> I read this continuously in all kinds of other things from other, I mean, great thinkers like Bishop Barron, like Thomas Aquinas, the great theologians throughout time. Well, you go know, back to Christ, really, the greatest theologian. Right. Coming back in full circle, my <laughs> my title for this week's discussion would be Don't Be Discouraged. <laughs> so, Don't be discouraged, yeah. you got to have faith in God. Yeah. Faith that God loves you enough yeah. to always be with you. And it's not just the story of, of Elisha coming back after Elijah's going up. I mean, you see this throughout the whole Bible. Yeah. Um, all kinds of examples of just don't give up. And you see, you see, even with the apostles, who I really identify with on some levels because they went through, they betrayed Christ, they ran away, and yet, despite all of that heart-wrenching stuff, they came back and, like, don't be discouraged. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to move forward. And... Part of it is you see in the resurrected Christ that gives you a lot of like encouragement, but well, yeah. But they could but, they could have been along the way been discouraged too with all the persecutions that they went yeah. through and. Well, think about the fact that I mean, in a way, their mission was a lot like Lilisha's because what they saw Christ ascend into heaven and then they're just left there with this mission now for to live out for how many more you know some of them lived for several decades after Christ yeah. left the earth. So he's not there directly intervening, like sitting next to them saying, hey, believe in me in the flesh anymore, right? Trust They've been to told spirit. to go out into yeah. the world and do this, this, and this. And yet, and they did. These formerly weak men who were weak when they had him ne- yeah. next to them. Get showing miracles and everything <laughs> in their presence, right? Yeah, but the greatest miracle of all is that they didn't fall away from their faith. And most of them, except for John, well, they were all martyred. They died for this. Yeah, so, yeah just about know, all of them. John was... died in exile, you know, yeah. so they all yeah. gave their lives for this. So it's the same kind of thing. They could have been discouraged. Yeah. I could. mean, I'm sure we don't hear about it necessarily in the Bible, or maybe we do. I don't know. I have to go back. I mean, there's lots of instances of people telling them. Who are you? That probably wasn't their own families. Who are you to think you can go out and start preaching 
they had to face down a lot of that. I'm sure that the devil was working hard on oh, them to discourage them yeah. from continuing on. Because that was probably a key. Yeah. Look at all the things Paul went through on all his journeys. And tortured and stoned and beaten. And yeah. There was well, all kinds of things. Numerous, that, and he like never... He, did, he didn't physically walk with Christ... No, he when didn't. Christ was on the earth, right? He had that conversion, probably experience, little but... beatific vision with Christ coming down and asking him, "How come you're persecuting me?" It's interesting that he didn't spend the years in Christ's ministry that the other apostles did, but just continued to spread the word among Gentiles who were like, you know, they didn't even have like a, a Jewish connection, right? All of a sudden, here's this seemingly Jewish prophet that they're saying is God, mm-hmm. and that would be something really even more foreign to them. Versus, you know, at least within the Jewish community, you could say, our Christ, the Messiah, who you've yeah. been expecting to arrive, has yeah. arrived, right? And in some ways, you would think it would be way easier to explain to them, because they've got the whole history. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I was trying to get at. They, they have a whole history with the Jewish connection. He's going out among the Gentiles. So the, all the things that could have discouraged you... It's, they're, they're, it's all present there. I'm sure he felt that. And yeah. disappointment in some of the you know the letters that he yeah. writes to all these different churches that he established, yeah. how some of them are misbehaving. Yeah. And it's, going like in, a, it's like, he's got to, oh, i got to go fix these people again. So again, yeah. You yeah. can hear that. Yeah. Oh, again. Like, <laughs> this is not the first time. This is- they overcame that discouragement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's... So let's not be discouraged. Yes. <laughs> you can see that in the lives of the saints, too. You yeah. know, the discouragement... Thing yeah. could be that's I think that's the difference between what makes a saint and what makes two is their faith in God. Yeah. Like they never gave up on God, yeah. no matter what life threw at yeah. them. We're probably gonna have to call God. it. I think we're gonna have to call it. And someone is calling us. Yes, we're getting called. There's Ian and Emma, and then there's also Tessa in the background. <laughs> so for Tete Tete, we're signing off, and we'll see you next week, God willing. God bless. Mm-hmm.